I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. So you've probably noticed there are more episodes than usual this month. That's because I really wanted to make sure that we talked about both the election and Halloween this year. Uh, so I decided to do two specials, which means a lot more content for you. Hooray! So today we're going to be talking about cultural appropriation and uh, also specifically in regards to Halloween, uh, with Halloween coming up. Even though, who knows if any of us are going to be celebrating Halloween, I don't know what's happening. But hypothetically maybe some of us will still be dressing up in costumes and regardless it's still uh, i think important to talk about that's enough blathering for me uh it's about time we i invited our guests to introduce themselves so we're gonna do our name pronouns where you're from your relationship with kids and your relationship with the topic of cultural appropriation hi my name is uh, hannah grover my pronouns are she her i'm from regina saskatchewan but i just moved to montreal last year for grad school, and I'm here for however long I'm going to be here. In terms of my relationship with kids, I don't have any of my own. I have uh, just a brand new nephew uh, that was just born. So uh, just in, like that's the most experience I'm probably going to have with kids in my <laughs> adult life is um, my nephew Ronan. Shout out to Ronan. <laughs> but uh, that's very, very exciting. So uh, he's brand new. I'm very excited to go and meet him someday pandemic permitting but uh yeah <laughs> and my relationship with cultural appropriation is well I, I occupy a number of identities that are often either disrespected uh misunderstood or stigmatized in some way so specifically I guess the most blatant examples of that would be um being Jewish or being East Indian so of course you see a lot of the really offensive appropriation of Hindu imagery. My grandpa was Hindu, so he spoke about that a lot when he was still here with us, but he that was something that really got to him. So I learned a lot about that when I was younger. And then just like growing up Jewish generally, you you deal with a lot of disrespect and anti-Semitism. So that in combination with people either blatantly mis- misunderstanding the religion or the heritage or just like dressing up like a rabbi or something like that for Halloween. At this point in my life, it's just annoying because it's like Google's free, you know? Like <laughs> you're just doing it to be a jerk at this point. So that's my relationship to it personally. Hello, my name is Prakash Krishnan. Pronouns are he, him, or whatever you like. I'm from Dish with One Spoon Territory, uh, Toronto. But I've lived in Montreal for the last four and a half years. My parents are Malaysian, or the immigrants from Malaysia, but they are of Indian origin. In terms of my relationship with kids, I also don't have any. Uh, however, I spent like eight years uh, working with children. Specifically, I was like a lifeguard and uh, mm-hmm. a swimming instructor, but also I then transitioned to work in recreation therapy for yeah. disabled and neurodivergent children. And I thought that 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 was going to be kind of like my longer term career path, but then things changed and I said that was not for me, but I think kids hold a very special place in my heart. And in terms of cultural appropriation, similar to what Hannah said, like um, being someone who is like in Canada, like quote unquote, capital O othered, um, you see like the same things that you're like ridiculed for growing up now either becomes like trendy or becomes like you know like used by 
the same people who would like who were uh, antagonizing you for that. So I'm also tired. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. Hopefully, this can be, you know, this can help people get on their journeys to uh, unlearning that behavior. Pulling the curtain aside just a little bit, we are actually video chatting right now, which I don't, we don't typically do on episodes. And I wish that I could capture our facial expressions as we're talking because there's a lot of just eye rolling and exasperation happening as we're talking about this already. <laughs> my name is Michaela Statham. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I am actually from the States. I'm from um, a state called Maine. Not a lot of people know about it. It's small and it's mostly white and I have been here most of my life. I've never had any sort of relationship with kids really until my brothers and sisters started having children. I actually really was never fond of kids until (laughs) they had babies and now I think about like what kind of world I want them to grow up in. Um, Both of my my siblings are white. I am the only um, black sibling. So it's interesting to see how they um, grow up and how they kind of navigate the world, even with me as their aunt. So I think it's important for me to educate myself on these kinds of topics and help with my lived experience. My relationship uh, with cultural appropriation, I think it kind of speaks for itself. I grew up in Western Maine, super white, just like Hannah and Prakash. I grew up being made fun of for like specific parts of my culture that I really wasn't connected to because my mom is white. Um, So I remember having a lot of hard times with that in school. And just like my other fellow people of color, it is tiresome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny before, before the episode, uh, Hannah and I were chatting just a little bit. uh, And we were were talking about just how exhausting it is to be and to have to educate, just sort of be a default educator and have to educate everyone about your experience. Mm -hmm. This is part of why we're all here. So thank you all for doing the work, which will hopefully save some other people from having to do some of the work. (laughs) But yeah, it's as a talk from my experience as a queer person, it's really, it's really exhausting. I'm just realizing as I'm saying my like routine thing that none of y'all have a super regular connection with kids. So if you don't have an answer to this question, like, that's totally okay. Uh, but the question that I usually ask is if a kid has ever asked you a question that uh, has kind of caught you off guard or uh, you just like didn't have an answer to. If you don't have an answer to that, that's totally okay. I was going to say, yeah, definitely. Children are just curious. Um, but like as adults, we all have like this like almost like unspoken code or like we've grasped the social cues that there are norms that you don't talk about or like you don't ask questions about but kids they like don't even know that there's like no threshold they're like still developing that so um nothing is off limits for their questions I think a lot of times people like like just like Hannah said I'm a lot of different intersectional things I'm I identify as a queer person I'm black it's one of those things where you you constantly get questions and even when it comes from kids you're almost like I don't know how to phrase this so that I don't upset your parents or cross a boundary kids are crazy yeah I was like I was gonna say the same thing like kids do say like the darndest the darndest things <laughs> but I feel even with adults like when people ask me like problematic questions or say things that are like a little bit questionable I I know that most often it's like not from like a malicious place or anything. So I try to be really forgiving and generous with my responses when I can. Uh, but I think specifically because most of the kids that I've like uh, been working with are either neurodivergent or disabled. Mm-hmm. Like truly the same kinds of like, you know, social filters that neurotypical people might adapt, like adopt. It's not always the case. So I think I'm, 
I think this is like this experience has helped me like really try to yeah I guess like be more generous with how I like receive people asking me uh, mm-hmm. questions and how I respond because I've gotten things like you know like why are you brown and I'm like well there's something called melanin or like you know like and just like <laughs> and thinking how like you know maybe I can give like what would be the reaction if I gave the same response to you know an adult who asked me something you know equally as ridiculous right just like seeing how I can like turn that back on them to see like why are yeah. they why are they asking me this but at least I feel like you know with, with children neurodivergent or not it's a like great opportunity to really kind of like help them navigate these questions because like yeah like why am I brown that is a good question you know like why is the sky blue you know like, there obviously there are reasons and mm-hmm. uh, some of them are social some of them are not and uh, I think as people who care for children or people who have children in their lives it's uh yeah it's important to to do that generously yeah i i think that when like you were saying like when children ask questions generally it's out of curiosity it's not like sometimes children can be malicious don't get me wrong but most of the time they're asking questions just because they're you know figuring out the world and um just the way that they would ask any other question um and it's adults who then you know often will be like oh don't ask that um and then we you know put like shame on certain things or like i'm thinking of for example i had someone one guest in particular that I'm thinking of who's a wheelchair user. And, you know, she was saying that, you know, like, she's like, I'm happy to answer questions about it personally. Right. But then parents would be like, Oh, don't, don't, don't talk, you know, don't talk to that person or they're going to bother. And like, like that's, it's weird when we give off those vibes of like, Oh, no, we can't talk about that. Then it's like, we're telling kids that it's, there's something wrong with it. Right. That's the message that they're getting. Like, like Prakash was saying, and you said that it's, at least from a child's perspective, if they're asking something that is, as we understand it as adults, problematic or insensitive, it is genuinely just them trying to figure out why something is. Like, you can't really see it right now, this harsh lighting that is, like, giving me this, like, caucasity. But I am <laughs> usually, like, an olive mid-tone brown. And I have, like you know, the, the kid will come up to me. If it's like a white kid in the summer, I'd be like, hey, I'm the same color as you. That's crazy. Or something like that. Where it's like, <laughs> obviously, if an adult said that to me, I'd, I'd tell them to like, oh, fuck off. But like, <laughs> um, but, a kid, but a kid, obviously, it's, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, let's kind of unpack why that is and why you, you, you know, that's not super cool to say. Uh, but it's at the same time, it's like from a kid, it's in my view, at least harmless. And it gives you an opportunity, even if a, a parent might be uncomfortable with it, to give the kid an experience with somebody who's perhaps not like them. That would shape them into being a more understanding human being because they've had that discussion with you. So anytime a kid, in my view, asks something that's problematic or, or harmful, or they say something that's hurtful, mm-hmm. like racist, homophobic, sexist, transphobic, anything like that. It's They learned it from somewhere, right? They didn't just decide to say something racist at the drop of a hat. 
So if you're an actively anti-racist person and you have an opportunity to get them to unlearn that thinking, I think it's really important to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like you were saying, it's also a good opportunity to like answer the question and then say, okay, but maybe not everyone wants to answer that question. And like, here's why and here, you know, and, you know, depending on how old the kid is, we can bring in talks about microaggressions and things like that, right? Why people are tired of answering all these kinds of questions. And, you know, so I think that that part of the conversation is just as important as answering the question i'm also a precaution i'm very uh i'm also the same with answering like adult questions because i'm an educator and i try to be like very nice about it and but i always say it with the caveat of but not everyone is gonna want like not every trans person needs to answer this question for me or should answer this right and it but it's like yeah i think i think it's hard but uh to be patient i think it's harder for me to be patient with adults than it is for me to be patient with kids because i am like well you you have an excuse for not knowing this and not yeah. knowing what to say like you're a grown-ass adult you should know better <laughs> um but anyway sort of jumping into our topic i mean first and foremost right like what is cultural appropriation and how does it differ from cultural appreciation cultural appropriation to me in my context is a blatant disrespect for somebody else's culture or heritage in the sense that you're either making a joke out of it, uh, you're using it as an aesthetic, you're sort of... My mind immediately jumps to, like, Kendall Jenner and fashion shows. You know what I mean? Like, that, to me, is, like, peak. I don't care about this marginalized community. I just want to, like, capitalize on it because I look edgy and different. Or like, like, yeah, fashion shows using white models to wear dreadlocks or like, it's just terrible stuff like that. It's really just blatant disrespect. Uh, Like Halloween is a really obvious example of just mockery of marginalized communities. And to me, it's done with insensitive intent. Cultural appreciation, on the other hand, um, I saw a TikTok about this actually where um, a white person was wearing like a full kimono uh, and it was given to them on a a Japanese exchange by their good friend. And it was like really deeply personal to them and really lovely and beautiful. They they knew how to um, put it on and wear it appropriately. And even though they weren't from that culture, it was a gift that was given to them from somebody in that culture. So they were invited into that space. So I guess how I would define the two is uh, cultural appropriation is blatant disrespect and mockery often at the, uh, with the means of capitalization and cultural appreciation is a deep respect with an education behind it. Yeah, I think it makes me think a lot about, I I went to Japan when I was in high school uh, on an exchange trip and we, yeah, it was, it was a really cool trip. And part of the trip, I went like with a large group of students from different schools, but part of the trip was a homestay. And so I stayed with a family um, and they took us to uh, a festival and they put us in kimonos, uh, right? And that was an appropriate time for us to be wearing kimonos. Like they put us in them, we wore them the correct way, we were in a play, right? We were in a a place where that's where you go when you go to a festival often you wear kimono right um then i i was a big anime nerd when i was in high school um there was a point where like i wore kimono to anime club like that was not appropriate at all right in hindsight i look back and i'm like oh but it's like i was doing the same thing so it's not the thing i was doing that was inappropriate it was the way and the context that i was doing you know what I mean? And even though, like, I wasn't necessarily having any malicious intent there, it was just, like, not appropriate for me to be walking around campus in a kimono. Uh, yeah, I think 
you know, from what both of you said, I don't have um, much to add. I really like, really like the point that Hannah made about capital and how the capital doesn't necessarily need to be like, like, um, like, you know, like economic currency, right? Like you certainly could like economically profit off of another person's culture, but you could also do this for like social capital, for like cultural Mm. capital, um, you know, like to make yourself seem like, yeah, I don't know, like more woke or interesting or edgy, you know, like whatever, like circles you belong to. Um, Because I think that's a lot of the resistance I've seen with people having this discourse is that, yeah, that they're doing that out of of appreciation, that they're not harming anyone, they're not making any money out of it, especially when it's um, people of color appropriating other, like, um, marginalized communities that, like, oh, Mm. if I'm not white, then I can't be, you know, like, appropriating something. But it's like, but you, you can, like, you know, you always can if you're not from a culture. And yeah, you're, like, using their like symbols or their clothing or their aesthetics or art or techniques or whatever out of context uh yeah it does not matter you know like what group you belong to if you're not doing it yeah within the appropriate uh context cultural appropriation i think a lot of people like hannah was saying confuse it with appreciation but i think like the premise of cultural appropriation doesn't even sound harmful but the problem with it is that there's like this very real but unsaid power with it. People have this ability to, you know, pop on a kimono or a bindi or a sari or even do box braids, dreadlocks, all of those things, and then take it off, not have to worry about the repercussions of what that means if you are a part of that culture. And that's something that you live with the very real power of being able to take that off whenever you want, put that toy down when you're done playing with it where there are people within those said cultures who live with the very real, um, with the very reality that is, if they do celebrate that, if they so choose to, a lot of the times those things are just made fun of. They are marginalized and hurt by people who, like Hannah was saying, don't think it's, don't think it's cool until they're ready to think it's cool or woke or edgy or anything like that. So I'm, I'm curious and I, Sometimes I ask questions that I kind of know the answer to, um, but I'm curious if there's ever been a time where you've been in a situation where someone was appropriating your culture. It could be in your personal life or, you know, it could be something you saw on TV. Oh, yeah. That has happened at this point so many times in my life. I think it's less so now, certainly, because I have a very curated um, timeline in all of my social medias. But certainly it would be like I would watch TV you'd see somebody wearing a sari or a bindi or there was even one episode of um oh gosh what was it this is gonna bug me but RuPaul's Drag Race where RuPaul was just wearing a star of David and at that point that's just more like why though and that, that happens a lot especially with um religious imagery so it's yeah, it's like an everyday thing at this point. So you get to the, the just a certain level of exhaustion with it that yeah. you, you kind of come to expect. But that's my experience, at least. Yeah, I think I also have a very, like, stark TV experience, too, uh, from the TV show Arthur, uh, like the cartoon Aardvark, if that aired uh, wherever you lived as a child. And I don't remember the character's name, but there is, like, one of them who's, like, mom in one episode is also wearing a sari. And the like, 
the child comes home and it's like, mom, like, what are you wearing? She's like, oh, it's a sorry. It's a great outfit to do housework in. And she's like dusting like a wall or something. And I was like, and you know, I'm a kid. The first time I've seen like a sorry represented on, uh, you know, something I would watch on TV, like a children's show. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen my mom do housework in a sari. If that is like what you wear to like go out. But obviously it's like my, my experience with like Indian sartorial culture comes from like a very Western perspective. So I'm like, maybe people in India would wear a sari while cleaning. But regardless, I'm pretty sure this like rat or whatever the animal was is not Indian. So uh, this is a very strange choice to be like, ah, yes, I mean, wear this, you know, exotic outfit to do housework and get literally dirty in as if like that is an appropriate, like, (laughs) you know, like representation of this uh, underrepresented culture. So I thought that was, uh, I think that was the first time that I was like, hmm, something is wrong with the way that we are depicting uh, Indian culture. And yeah, I uh, behind me had this like really big silk poster, like uh, art of uh, Ganesh, which is one of the one of the Hindu gods. Uh, but yeah, I got it off of like Facebook Marketplace from some like white kept guy who like got it from his dad who had gone to Nepal. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take this as a, as a kind of like a repatriation. And I was like, you, I was like, give me give me these things. This doesn't belong to you. I'm going to uh, reclaim it. It's mine now. And uh, yeah, I think that was like the first to the most recent of my cultural appropriation experiences. I think it took me a really long time to kind of grasp what that meant until I was around like 16 or 17. And um, I I am a self-proclaimed Tumblr learner of racism, sexism, homophobia. I got all my information from Tumblr. Um, I, I kind of like, as I was kind of stepping into my queer identity um, and kind of just like digging into more of what it meant to be queer. That's kind of where everything just like, boom, like it all came into play. And that's where I learned everything, including what cultural appropriation was. Cause this was back when like Coachella was super big and people were wearing um, native American headdresses and bindis. Like it was like, and, and they were like, just, it was a huge thing. So that's where I kind of got the first, my first grips with what cultural appropriation was. And then as I started moving through the world, um, just living in a super rural town, lots of white people being one of the only brown people in the area and kind of seeing how that shapes the world was really interesting. Um, but now as I, I'm older and I'm able to kind of grasp what that means, I feel like I pick and choose my, my pick and choose my battles. And that's just out of like self-preservation. I can only do so much. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. Yeah. But I was going to just kind of go off of what Hannah was saying. Like, I think about like celebrities, makeup gurus, recording artists like Kim Kardashian, um, Nikita Dragon, Gwen Stefani. Does anyone else remember her really weird Harajuku lovers? Yes. Like, uh-huh. I used to think it was so cool. And then, and like my mom and I like bought the CD and we jammed out to that thing. But then like, Looking back, I was like, that was so bad. Why did she do that? Miley Cyrus, of course. Queen Miley. I still want an apology from the Bangers era, but I never got one. Um, Rachel Dolezal. That's so much. Oh, like, what is wrong with people? I think she's a professional braider now. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's real. Like, she was invited to some big, like, no. uh, Afro festival. 
Ew. And uh, people were like real mad about it. Like, like all of you were talking about this, like kind of picking and choosing your your battles. I think it just makes me think a lot about there's um there's a really good video that explains like what microaggressions are, where it relates them to mosquitoes. Have you ever seen this? It's basically like the idea that like you know one mosquito bite is not a big deal, but like a hundred little mosquito bites, and like people might not notice. You know all these you know all these little mosquitoes as they're coming and going, and then they ask a you know they ask you something that's like you know like a question that might not bother you if you didn't have a thousand mosquito bites and then you're like you know you yell and everyone's like oh you know those people they're so angry about everything i get this about being queer a lot queers are we're very angry <laughs> we have a right to be angry first of all but anyway so i i'll link that in the show notes but um i think that's a really good it explains it way better than i just did um butchering that uh, synopsis of that video but um i think yeah it's like when you're getting all of these all of this all day it's just like you know, when it does happen, sometimes you need to pick and choose when you're going to say something about it and when you're just going to roll your eyes and move on. So I'm, I'm curious if you, as you know, the answer to the answer, my answer to this question is yes, because I've already told you, but I'm curious if you've ever been in a situation where you may have appropriated another culture, you know, unknowingly. That's sort of coming from like a mixed background too. I think that can happen. Not even just like, as you were saying, like people of color can't appropriate other cultures. But I was raised by white people. And that's kind of like a standard thing where they just think that incorporating aspects of another culture's fashion into your fashion is appreciating it. So, of course, there was like instances when I was younger where I would get something that sort of looked like um, like a Chinese dress. And it'd be like that like high neck short sleeve thing with like dragons on it. And I'd wear it all the time. And I'd be like, oh my God, I I look like I'm in like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And that would be like my thing for the week. Because you know how like when, especially I think like, queer people do this a lot, like you'll see a film and you're like, okay, who am I going to base my personality off of this week? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just tweeted my... that like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, like it's a very, but when uh, when you're younger and you don't understand, obviously you're like, oh, Memoirs of a Geisha was such a good movie. I'm going to dress like that now. And that sort of just becomes like your your character for the week. And it's a, once again a costume that you can take off. But Japanese people continue to be Japanese and continue to experience racism on the daily. So largely in terms of like my cultural appropriation that I've done in my life, yeah, wearing outfits that don't belong to me or like getting a dream catcher and not knowing anything about it. Just like dumb stuff like that where I thought it was harmless because I was a kid, but there was nobody that really was there to teach me that it was incorrect either. I want to say we lived in a different time, but that's not an appropriate, that's not an excuse, right? Like it's still wrong and it's still something that I shouldn't have done, but it's so dependent on circumstance and your environmental factor when you're a kid, right? Because you don't necessarily have the resources to be like, is this appropriate? Unless you're like a really intuitive kid and you at that point have parents that would be teaching you, okay, this isn't appropriate. You shouldn't, you know, wear something from a culture that doesn't belong to you unless you've been invited into that space. But yeah, that's my experience with that. Well, I think that's part of the reason, right? It's like, we're going to jump into, you know, talking to kids specifically, but like, I think that's why it's important to start these conversations really early, right? Because mm-hmm. then, you know, we can raise kids, you know, who have the, you know, the ability to think critically and be like, hmm, like, is the thing that I'm doing right now okay, right? Because when we're kids, like, we're, we're 
we're really going off of what the grownups in our lives are telling us. And if no one's telling us there's anything wrong with what we're doing, like, how are we going to know? And, you know, so I think that that's why it's important to kind of start these conversations early. I would just like to take this moment, if you'll allow me to apologize to um, white people everywhere. I have dressed many times for Halloween as a clown. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Get the uh, No one told me uh, that that was a sacred object to y'all. I had never seen Chucky. I've experienced it since. And I don't want that bad, uh, those bad vibes in my life. I'm so sorry. Um, please, please forgive me. But, uh, uh, but for real, yeah, I, I have also, you know, yeah, like, for Halloween, like, dressed up as, like, yeah, cultures that I don't really understand, like, you know, like, okay, I only have, like, 15 minutes when I get together, like, let me, like, you know, dress as, like, a traveler or something, like, uh, along those lines. And, yeah, and I think it's, like, something that you, like, I think everyone, or, like, most people have had this experience, especially growing up in the West, where there's, like, not really, like, well, how would I dress up as, like, as, like you know, like, in, like, in, like, an American, like, an Anglo-American, like, would I, like, plaid, like, you know, like, that's not... I don't, I don't know, like, uh, wear, like, a Trump wig, like, I don't know. So, and I think, like, because, because there's no kind of, like, idea of, like, a Western singular, like, monoculture that we can, like, identify mm-hmm. on the street being, like, oh, yeah, that is, like, a Canadian outfit, right? Because, like, what does that mean? So, I think because of that, it's difficult for, at least maybe, like, for my parents to be, like, hmm, maybe we should not be dressing you up uh, in this, like, I don't know, Esmeralda costume or something, because... That same idea of like this not being for you, that I think the concept doesn't really exist because one Halloween doesn't really exist outside of uh, Canada and the U.S. I don't think so, and because there's no like like sacred culture or symbols like in like a like a white Anglo North American culture that we don't mm-hmm. understand that like some things are not for us. I don't think that's a that's a exclusively white experience. I think you know I think that's pretty common amongst like many people who are like raised in the West, that uh, some things are not for you. But I feel, yeah, as we have these conversations and bring them into the mainstream, hopefully people will begin to understand that, especially people who are, like, from the West, white or otherwise. Prakash is right. People in the U.S. think that everything belongs to them. That's kind of, like, embedded in the history of the U.S. So (laughs) I definitely still feel guilt for my Pocahontas outfit that I had for, like, two, maybe three years running. It's been, like, 14 years, and I'm still struggling with that. But, I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know any better. But not much else to say other than I think we just base our ideas off of what our parents think is okay. Just like what we were kind of circling back to that. Um, I didn't see the issue with that until my Tumblr days. And then I realized how bad and awful and disrespectful it is to do that. And that guilt has haunted me forever. I think my worst, the worst thing that I can think of that I was like, why did adults in my, an adult in my (laughs) life, Literally, I was in a play, and I was cast as a woman who wore a hijab in a Mm. play. Okay? By an adult who should have freaking known better, right? Like, I was a kid. I was like, okay, this is my role. Whatever. It's Like, to me, I'm just putting on a costume. Like, I'm not thinking. And then I went. This was even. Bless this girl. I do not remember her name. I then went to, you know, the one Muslim girl in my school. Like, do you have a job I can borrow? Bless her. She gave me a trainer hijab. She was, but I like look back on that moment and I'm like, why did the adult in that situation 
think that that was an okay thing to do. So they scripted the play, they casted you, they did like six <laughs> reruns, and then they did like an opening night, and then like a matinee. Oh, they did previews with the test audience. Like, I still think it was fine. Yeah. Was oh my God. It's like, that was like wackadoodle. Like that, that, you know, and it's like, and that's why I think that it's so important that like, you know, us as adults know these things too, yeah, right? Because we're the ones telling the kids. And so, I, you know, I think that's so Oh you God. being like, you're just saying, oh, yeah, I was just my role. That was just me getting into my role. Angelina Jolie in a mighty heartbeat. Like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, like, sort of the reason that I asked that question is it's just like, none of us are perfect. Like, we've all, you know, it's not like we're these high and mighty people. Like, we're just so perfect and we're telling you not to do it. It's like, no, we've all done it. But that doesn't mean that. Um, I think, you know, there's a difference when you're a kid and you have no idea what what you're doing and when you're adult and when you're defending what you're doing. Um, and that's why I think, you know, it's really important, like we were talking about to understand the difference between appropriation and appreciation and where that, where that line is. So now I want to shift to talking uh, about cultural appropriation in regards to Halloween. And it's actually kind of interesting because when I, I made a post originally looking, which all of y'all responded to, so you know about it. Um, I made a post when looking for folks originally and somebody made a comment about like Halloween itself kind of being a kind of cultural appropriation, which like I totally, I don't totally agree with that take because I think there's like a slight difference between cultural appropriation and sort of like something that developed from uh, traditions. Um, but I do think that it was like, it did kind of cause me to learn, you know, uh, learn about the history of Halloween. It's actually like super, super, super interesting. Um, comes from like a lot of Irish traditions and things like that as well. Oh, it also, as well as, um, pagan festivals and we're almost so, so much of what of our like cultural, especially like Christian holidays. So, so much of that stuff is steeped in pagan, pagan roots. It's like hilarious. <laughs> Christmas trees, pagan everything pagan um, but, but at any rate there's actually i just wanted to recommend to listeners i think it's really important that we learn about the roots of our holidays and things like that um and there's a really good book called why we celebrate halloween a short history by baby professor is the author i didn't ask questions but uh but yeah that was a really good book and i i recommend that you you know sort of learn about the history of halloween because it also has a lot of really interesting cultural roots. I'd like to talk a little bit about cultural appropriation, which we sort of uh, dipped our toes into already, but in, but specifically in talking about like Halloween costumes. Um, so when it comes to Halloween, what makes a costume appropriative? I think this circles back to the difference between appropriation and appreciation, but specifically there's something about Halloween that makes it particularly egregious, I think. We can come up with countless examples of like walking into Spirit Halloween and seeing like a plethora of racist, homophobic, garbage, sexist garbage everywhere. Like it, it's just like the most unwoke store imaginable. <laughs> they want to charge you like a hundred dollars for it. Yeah, and you can't like, return it either. No, Sorry, you can't return it. No, you can't return it. It's literally just like. Hey, you decided to be racist this year. You have to live with that. And also you have to pay me $100. Enjoy. But it's really just, uh, for me, I think a, a costume becomes appropriative when there's malicious intent to mock or intent to wear a costume just because you think it's edgy or like 
you have no in- intention of actually learning about that culture. You have no background in that you're not a member of that community or culture. It's literally just, I'm going to go out and get drunk. And I think it would be really funny to wear like dreadlocks with a Rastafarian hat. You know, that's, it's literally just you making a joke out of somebody else's culture because you think you're being edgy. And that, like, we can have this discussion until the cows come home. And frankly, I think we should because nobody, it's not sinking in, clearly. Yeah, I think just kind of reading what we said before about it, the idea of, like, being able to, to take it off. But also, I was trying to sneakily look up the the reference I was thinking of, but um, Dr. Adrian Keen uh, is an Indigenous scholar, I think, who teaches at Harvard, but I might be lying. But she's a, she has or had a blog called Native Probes where she explains, like, like, you know, what things, like, how does yeah. wearing Indigenous, like, garments or objects become appropriative and what is appreciative? And the idea of, like, having, like, the word I can't remember, but I think it was, like, locked items. If I go and I, like, buy a pair of moccasins from, you know, my local uh, Indigenous uh, um, uh, clothing maker, and I, like, wear those, you know, to run my errands or whatnot, like, that, like, that, like, doing that versus me going to, like, Party City and buying a Pocahontas costume or, like, a headdress and going out on the street for one day is a very different experience. And I think it could be argued that both of those are appropriate. That's not the argument I'm trying to make, but just that how for Halloween, like, wearing something that you would not usually wear that belongs to another culture, specifically for this day of, like, tomfoolery, is, like, very questionable. So... If you're using Halloween as an excuse to do something that you know is like, you know, maybe problematic or you get like looked at sideways on a different day, like I think you should ask yourself, you know, like why that is. So in the case of like wanting to dress, you know, more like provocatively, like the question you should be asking is like, why can I not wear this on a normal day? Right. Because this is a problem with society. But if it's like, okay, I want to like dress like Pocahontas, but I can't do it on any any other day except for Halloween. Okay, then why is that? Then, then you realize the problem is on you, right? That society has told you that this is not a great, good idea. And so you wait for the one day where it's like, quote unquote, permissible. Um, so I think there's kind of like lines of self-interrogation. I think it can also help you talk to children about it, right? If your kid wants to dress up as, yeah, as like, you know, I'm going to keep using the example of Pocahontas, like you can explain to them like, you know, this is not, you know, like appropriate, appropriate for you on a regular day. And therefore... It's not appropriate on Halloween. But if you want to dress like a clown and go to school, like that's cool. Like you could do that if you want to. Like there's nothing like you're not gonna you're not gonna like bother anyone by like, you know, wearing a red nose, I don't think. Like it'll I, bother me. I hate clowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. It'll, I mean, but what about all of the white people that you're you'll hurt when you do that? You have to consider that also. I mean, I have like four white friends, okay? I'm good. Hard cat. You won't have to call that. It's fine. Oh yeah, God. listen, my cup runneth over. I'm so sorry. I feel like these two summed it up pretty good, took the words right out of my mouth. It's like a it's like a small little circle you live within and you're like, oh, everyone around me gets it. And I don't have to explain myself. And then that one little, that one little moment will pop up and you're like, I raised you better than this. What are you doing? Like, why are you upsetting me like this? Happens a little too frequently these days um, with all the uh, Trump uh, 2020 stuff going on. But we have a spare room. Come live in Canada. It's fine. On the way. You don't even know how many, uh, especially like, like, 
or just folks, queer people and like folks in marginalized communities have reached out to me like, how do I get to Canada? And I'm like, it's really hard. I had to marry someone. That wasn't like, I didn't marry her to get here, but it worked out. <laughs> but you can't just like walk over. They don't let you. This is going back to a little bit of like the appreciation uh, argument, but I'm curious, like a lot of people for Halloween will are, will make the argument that like dressing up as another culture is honoring it. And like, how do we, you know, respond to that argument? I would just ask them, like, how? Just point blank. <laughs> how are you honoring it? Well, like, I'm giving it more visibility. B- but they can do that. You know? I think it's a really, like, I think asking them questions to sort of get them to unpack why exactly they're wearing that costume, at least is a good way to start for me. And I think that that's, like, a friendly way to approach it for kids, too, in, like, a non-combative way. If they say, I want to dress up as a geisha, or I want to dress up as I don't know why a kid would do this, but like as a Rastafarian, but or something like I know, but I always see the costume. I know it's strange. I see it all the time. It's like why? Because like the, this racist costume implies it's just a lot to unpack. But I think that a good way to sort of have that discussion with kids is if they say, "Hey, I want to dress up in this like culturally appropriate costume. I want to dress like Pocahontas." Okay, why do you want to dress like Pocahontas? I really like her. I think that she's a, a cool character. Okay. I think that that's like a, a really like sweet thing to want to do. But at the same time, that's like, you have to understand that that story is really, really important for in- indigenous people in a lot of contexts. And so like having that discussion with kids, I think is really important for an adult though. I feel like it can be more like assertive, like what, what are you doing? You know, like you're you we've had these discussions before, like you understand fundamentally what racism is. So why would you why do you think it's like a, a an appropriate thing to honor something when you don't have any like direct connection to it? Like what place do you have to contribute to this discussion? I think for me at least, but perhaps I'm just an argumentative person. <laughs> yeah, I think at least in an Asian context, if you were going to honor someone, or like a deity or like some kind of figure, you give them an an offering, right? Which could be like food, money, um, sometimes like could be like milk or yogurt. You know, it really depends on like on the context in which this offering is being presented. But if you were just going to be out here wearing your sari you got from like, I don't know, from wherever, uh, Amazon on Halloween, I'm like, I forgot that this is an audio medium, but I put my hand out and I was pointing to my hand, be like, where is the money? Put it in my hand, please. Like, this is, if you're going to wear something from mine, like, give it to me. I want it. You know, I want to be honored. Give me the money. You know, put it in my hand. I'm ready. Reparations. (laughs) So I, um, I recently, this is again, another tangent, but I, uh, y'all know LaGuardia airport in New York, whatever. It's an airport in New York. And they, I was refused access to a bathroom there based on the way I looked. And yeah, I know it was wild. And so I, I'm, I'm angry. I'm from New York originally. So I have that like New York anger. And yeah. I went and I called, um, I literally Googled like, who do I call about this? And <laughs> I found the, the Human Rights Commission of New York City. And I ended up, they were like, I was calling just like to file a complaint. And they were like, we can open a lawsuit about this. And I was like, oh. And they, so we ended up like having having a lawsuit. And so they had to make changes and all of that as far as like they had to do trans sensitivity trainings. They had to put up signs that say you can use the bathroom, whatever. And I ended up getting a little bit of money, which was like a nice bonus. But I was joking with my wife. I was like, I think I should get $4,000 every 
time someone misgenders me, like, this should be the rule. <laughs> Like, yes, I agree. So yes, you do deserve money if someone's dressed in a sari. I love that you got a big fat paycheck from that. You Ooh. deserve. We love to see it. Just very lightly building off of everyone else. Um, and kind of what Hannah said earlier, um, honoring culture, like really just requires you to have like a deep understanding and like a real connection. Um, if there's no connection, really, what are you actually doing it for? Um, and respecting the very real history of what folks inside of that culture have gone through um, and thinking about the pieces within the culture that they are trying to appropriate, really just like understanding what that specific culture has had to endure <laughs> to preserve their heritage. Like I think about like, like I think about like Native American headdresses or like, like in my own relatable context, like the cornrows debate or the box braids debate, um, how... How there are so many like influencers now who you'll see like they wear their box braids. They think it's so cute. It's so adorable. Um, but let's say like a black woman goes into a job interview with her natural hair braided. Um, mm-hmm. That can be labeled as like unkempt, nappy, gross, ghetto. All of those really awful um, connotations are really tagged onto that. So I think really just having the gentle examination of why are you doing this and what's the purpose? The element of like not being able to take it off like we were just talking about is so important because I think about like my, my wife used to work for an airline and like you couldn't you couldn't have your heart braided, you couldn't have dreads, like you are they oh my god. They were so like obnoxiously particular about like you you could wear like three shades of lipstick from like a specific brand. It was just so gross. But at any rate, like it was you know, all of the quote unquote hairstyles that they were allowed to have mm. were like, you know. It's like a ponytail with no braids or like, you know, certain things that have just like, or even like having to have their hair straightened. It was wild. I mean, that was like a very specifically wild situation, but, but it's just like, you know, that's someone's life. You can't just, you know, you can just like, whatever, take that off and go on with your your day and not have to deal with discrimination because of it or not have to deal with these kinds of things. But like, I think that's definitely a major element. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Just the typical stuff today, so just a reminder, uh, if you like awesome kids books, which I hope you do if you're listening to this, um, you can get some at www.akidsbookabout.com, and if you use the code RADCHILD on checkout, you can get $5 off. Other than that, it's just the typical where to find us. So if you would like to follow us, you can do so at Rad Child Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can contact us by emailing radchildpodcast at gmail.com or by going to www.radchildpodcast.com under the contact us section we have a little form there there's also information about how to be a guest there so if that's something you're interested in definitely uh write us we'd love to hear from you um also if you would like some awesome merch you can get some by going to our store on our website or by going to www.etsy.com and just searching Radchild podcast we are the only one luckily <laughs> and we have some awesome things like buttons stickers postcards all sorts of cool stuff we have a coloring book as well that you can get digital um, so you can get it immediately, which is exciting. Yeah, other than that, uh, last but of course not least, if you would like to join the ranks of Emma, Kai, Alex, and Sarah by giving us a small monthly donation, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash radchildpodcast. Yeah, so you can donate as little as a dollar a month. Every little bit really, really helps. Um, we really appreciate it. It just helps us cover our costs, really. 
and um, yeah you can get some awesome perks as well things like bloopers bonus content kids books uh, kids book recommendations care packages all sorts of cool things so definitely check that out do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values have you ever thought you found the perfect book but when you got it home it completely missed the mark Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books. We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So, Hannah, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious, like, you know, if, if a kid, like in your Pocahontas, Pocahontas example, if a kid really had their heart set on a costume that was appropriative, you know, how can we sort of find a way to explain cultural appropriation in a kid-friendly way? Well, I think that it sort of just begins with teaching compassion, right? Mm. And telling, like, or making your kid understand how everybody's different and that's okay. But at the same time, your experience might be more advantageous than another. Um, and mm-hmm. it'll, like, I don't have any kids, so it's kind of tricky for me to think about this. So like, theoretically, if my child wanted to dress up as Pocahontas, I think the easiest way to sort of explain that to them is to say, well, you know, that's, that's somebody else's costume, or like, not costume, but like that's like somebody who's maybe indigenous that's something that they would like have a lot of pride in wearing and that they they're the one that should be wearing it so maybe finding an alternative would be like a good idea in that in that context like so my kid would be like i don't know what they'd be interested in but say they're really into like the care bears and that's like their favorite thing i think like diverting it and maybe not and like explaining that that's not their culture in a really like simplistic way that doesn't like hurt their feelings or make them think they necessarily did anything super Mm. egregious by like connecting with a character, letting them understand that it's not necessarily their place to wear that costume and finding, finding an alternative instead and sort of like distracting them from something that's potentially harmful. And then like later unpacking that maybe when they're older, if that comes up again. But I think for like younger, younger kids, like just explaining briefly no, I think that that's somebody else's costume. Let's find, let's, like, what do you think of this? But then again, kids are, like, if you have a particularly stubborn kid, it can be, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying. I think I'm just sort of, like, doing brain exercises with myself right now. Like, what would you do in this situation, Hannah? And I'm like, oh, God. I, I think one of the other things that's, like, also just like learning about like maybe learning about that that culture too I think because I you know and sort of like why it's 
you know, not okay. Like, for example, we were, uh, when we were talking about the decolonizing Thanksgiving episode, um, one of the guests I had on was telling me, uh, she's Tahino, and she was telling me what, like, the headdress means in, in her culture. And, um, she was saying, you know, that eagle feathers, right, are super, you get them for, you know, doing important things, right? So maybe like she got one when she graduated college and she got one, you know, for doing this, doing that, when she had her first child, whatever. And, um, and you know, different, different tribes will give, you know, will give them to you for different sorts of things. But she was talking from her experience and basically, you know, so, she, so for someone to have a full eagle feather headdress means that they've done a lot of really awesome things in their life and so like learning about right so like you just putting that on without you know without having done all these kinds of things right it's like it's not you know really appropriate you know and so I think like just learning about the culture a little bit too and explaining like where where the things come from or like hey this you know this outfit that says like Native American on it is like not even like there are tons and tons of t- different tribes that wear different kinds of regalia and different outfits. And they're just mishmashing a bunch together and calling it a Native American. I'm like, that's not cool. You know what I mean? So I think like explaining a little bit too could be, could be helpful depending on the circumstance. Yeah. I feel my strategy for this. I'm also like Hannah playing the thought experiment because they don't <laughs> have children to be like, Hey, what would I do in this situation? And I think also going back to what I was saying earlier about uh, asking yourself, like, why do you know everything on a very particular day, but not on the other days? But I think as a parent, this could be a good exercise in, you know, going through your own kind of like familial or cultural history. So let's say you're like eighth generation German, like, like okay, like today's the one day of the year where you can dress um, in your not regular school clothes. So let's like go through like German photos from like the 1400s and see what do people wear? And let's like, you know, figure it out. Let's make it, you know, with what we have. I feel that's like one strategy. So you like re, you know, like revert their attention back towards, you know, like uh, your own cultural gaze. Cause maybe, yeah, if you like think you're just like a boring person who doesn't have culture, like, you know, we all came from somewhere, right? Um, unless you're like, you know, indigenous and you're, you're from here, but like the rest of us, uh, even POCs, like we came from somewhere. So, you know, this is a chance to like Google is free, as we said, you know, explore what some of those options might be. Or if your kid, you know, really wants to be Dwayne The Rock Johnson from um, Moana, like cool. But you know what? Halloween's supposed to be uh, a scary time of year. Let's pick from one of these like scary costumes. And I think uh, in like helping to like negotiate with children, giving them the illusion of choice. We're like, hey, um, honey, you can either be uh, a goblin or you can be a vampire or you can be a ghost. You have, you have to pick one of those three. But you can pick just from those three. I feel like when I've worked with kids in the past and I'm like, okay, we need to do these like various skills. I know you don't like them. So I'll give you the illusion of a choice where you can pick, you know, the one you don't want to do and then, or the one you do want to do. And then eventually we will get to the other thing. So it's like, hey, you can pick, but then we're going to do, we'll do them both eventually at some time. But that was just one of the like uh, teaching strategies that I had, which I think uh, can apply to this. As a nanny, that shit 100% works. Like the other day, one of the twins, I nanny uh, two and a half year old twins right now, and one of them didn't want to get down the stairs. And I was like, you can either walk down the stairs or I can carry you. And they were like, oh yeah, carry me. That's fun. But I was like, either way, you're getting down the damn stairs. (laughs) Rationalizing with children is always a game. 
I think I put I I I could be speaking out of turn, but I think I may potentially have more experience with children than Hannah and Prakash because um, I have a five no six year old nephew and a four year old niece, um, and they are very hilarious. Um, and we have to play the bargaining game all the time. But I think in terms of like how we can explain. Um, why dressing up as a specific culture isn't cool. Um, I feel like kids are super open and honest and can really understand a lot more than people give them credit for. Um, even like speaking to my niece and nephew about topics that like that like revolve around like sex, they already have a grasp of like those things. Like they really, maybe not sex, but like, but like, <laughs> Maybe not like sex, but like genitals and like you know what I mean. Like kids, kids can just really understand things a lot more than people give them credit for. And I think even just explaining it in a way of kind of what Prakash was saying, like this is um, this may not belong to us, but this is the choices that we have. What I was going to say is that children have um, a better grasp of things than people give them credit for. I've said that four times, but that is the truth. I feel like we talked about this a little bit already, but like, how can we sort of respectfully teach kids about a culture that's not our own? So like, right, for example, Day of the Dead is coming up, Dia de los Muertos. Like, how can I as a teacher teach kids about that as, as, you know, as not being someone from that culture in an appropriate way? Once again, I would go back to thinking about like the media that kids consume constantly, Mm -hmm. because Day of the Dead is like a really like aesthetically like cultural appropriation of the dead is very prevalent so maybe even taking the time to like educate your kid um Mm -hmm. about like what day of the dead is and educate yourself too so Mm -hmm. that that your kid actually understands what it is in like an accessible way like maybe get a book about day of the dead that's written for kids and like read it to them so they're still into exactly yeah so you're you're interacting with the with the the event that they're excited about in a way that's respectful and educational and like fun at the same time too and so they don't necessarily feel the need to just like put it on because everybody else is doing it and they can like actually have a fundamental understanding of what it is and at at that point too once they sort of understand it i think you can uh like they made a really good point about kids are more accepting than you think that you can then sit down with them and say, hey, so we, we sort of learned about this day and, and what it is and what it means to, um, to Mexican people. So we're, we aren't from this culture, right? Like this isn't something that we grew up doing. And even though we did like have a lot of fun learning about it and that's something that we should really value, learning about other cultures and respecting them and keeping, a, I wouldn't want to say keeping abreast to a child, but like... <laughs> But like keeping abreast to uh, cultural differences in in our society, but at the same time we don't want to take things that aren't uh, that aren't ours. You know, you don't like it when a kid takes a toy that isn't yours. That's not nice, right? That doesn't make right. you feel good. So maybe framing it in that way could be helpful, where you're still educating your kid about the thing that they're enthusiastic about, and they walk away with this newfound knowledge of uh, a, a different culture. But you're still unpacking why that isn't ours to just take and use. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm just going to guess second what Hannah said about like finding um, like appropriate appropriate media 
to help like introduce your kids to you know whatever the concept or culture or experiences particular to like day of the dead like you know i think this is also the thing where it's like you as a parent don't have to know everything like the whole internet is there to guide you like me Prakash, i'm like oh yeah i love the movie coco i thought that was beautiful i laughed i cried but like i am not mexican i'm not from that culture i don't know that it's actually a bad movie but you know if you do a quick google you can find out by like actual people you know who like live the experience who can tell you you know like these are the movies to watch these are the books to read okay don't just trust amazon's uh you know top rated reviews or you know whatever or like Heather's picks from chapters. Who is Heather? I don't know. But uh, also, I think something I want to caution uh, parents and teachers of is the idea that you need to, like, quote unquote, have the experience in order to understand something. Like, I feel that's what leads us to, like, some schools having, like, pretend slave auctions. Have you heard about this? No! Michaela and Seth, this is, like, this is your people, people in the U.S., uh, like, teachers, yeah, like, literally having children like, get up on slave blocks and having, like, auctions, like... Hmm. Yeah. You know, like, have this have this immersive educational experience, but, hmm. like, we don't have to do this, okay? We don't need to <laughs> celebrate Cinco de Mayo with, like, Jargaritas and sombreros. Like, we don't have to do this, okay? You can just, like, watch a documentary and, like, let it be, okay? Like, read some books, like, t- have, have discussions, you know? Like, maybe go to, like, a museum, even though museums are also, you know, be... Uh, problematic uh, in a lot of uh, a lot of ways, but the internet will guide you. Okay, like please, like again, yeah, Tumblr, you know, is slash was a great resource. I'm sure there are resources out there. Twitter also good and bad place, but um, you can find what you're looking for. You just have to like put in a little bit of work to make sure that uh, the media that you're accessing is the ones that are going to be like the best educational tools that are also entertaining. You can have both. That's what PBS is for, right? Yeah, building off of these two, I think. Yeah, media. Media. We're so lucky to be in this world um, and in this place in time where we have access to so much media, whether it's Google or a super good Twitter thread or something on Tumblr.com. There's so many resources. Also, I think a good resource is lived experience. I mean, if you, I remember you were talking about how you had a person come on to the show who was mentioning how parents are very uncomfortable when their children are asking about their disability um, as wheelchair users, um, as a wheelchair user, sorry. And I think parents should be able to find a way, maybe not find a way, but find resources through lived experiences. So whether that means like a close loved one who's willing to do like the labor or the work to sit down with the child or even explain like what that means to them as a person. I think I would, I think as like a black person, I would much rather a parent approach me about like cultural significance and say, can you explain to my child what this means? Because I do not have this experience. I could never come, you know, I could never live through your experience and be able to talk about what that means for you as a black individual um, than for them to maybe get misinformed or have a mishap where there's some misinformation. So if there's ever anyone willing to do the work for them or help them or guide them, I think lived experience is an amazing way for children to learn and also for parents to learn, you know. I think going off of that, like, you know, like Prakash was saying, like, don't be afraid to 
you know, teach about something that like inform yourself. Right. Um, but if you're uncomfortable, bring someone into your classroom, right? Like you can mm. totally do that as a teacher. Like you can bring people into your classroom who have that experience to teach about, you know, other cultures um, and pay them money because often uh, marginalized folks are expected to educate for free. Yeah, I would suggest, I would suggest doing that. And even like, like you were saying, like go to somebody who has that experience and, and, you know, if they're first of all, you know, ask them if they're willing to talk to you about it and respect the no, if they say no. But of course, like, I think that's some of the, some of the best information you're going to get is, you know, from actual people who've experienced the thing. Well, we have uh, one more question before we uh, start winding down. And that is how can we, how could we respond? Like when we see someone else appropriating a culture that's not their own. Um, I know, and that can be, I, I'm gonna, for the sake of this question, I'm going to say it's an adult. Because I know, I, I, I know often I'm in this situation where like I see or hear someone say something problematic and I feel like, do I want to fight this fight right now? Like, what do I say? Do I, you know, I think when it's kids, it's a little different, um, but yeah. Like as we were discussing prior, we all experience some form of cultural appropriation daily. And for me, at least, I think it gets down to the point of like how egregious it is before I confront it. Because if somebody is being like actively like anti-Semitic towards me, right, then I I kind of at that point have to be have to stand up for myself to a degree where I like can still get away or like protect myself if I need to. But that's something that I like confront pretty often is, okay, how much am I... How much time am I willing to dedicate to educating this person who probably doesn't want to hear what I have to say anyways? I think that sort of becomes the issue, especially with adults, is sometimes they're so like set in their ways or that's just sort of what they just want to be ignorant or they want to get their way. They don't want to seem like they're a bad person, even though they're being a bad person. Uh, so for an adult, I think it, it just depends on like the, the mental energy that I want to um, exert. But if that person is receptive to being um, called out or if they're like a friend or something like that, then I have no problem sort of saying, hey, like, um, so you wore a hamsa the other day and I I don't know if you know this, but um, that's a really important symbol in Judaism. So uh, I, I don't know that it's your place to wear it. And I'm not saying that you're doing this with malicious intent, but maybe understand that like for myself as a Jewish person, that can be like an, an indicator for like other Jewish people. Like, hey, you and I have something in common. So if you're, if you're not Jewish, it becomes really important then to consider why you're wearing it. Is it yeah. for like fashion? Is it because you're looking to convert? Like what's the tea? I don't know. I think that that's like for a friend, I think just sort of sitting down and being honest with them is a really good approach. But if somebody's yeah. being like actively malicious and you don't know them, then I would just say, fuck it. You know, I don't want to put myself in that situation, but yeah. you know, it's, it's all about safety at that point. 100% safety is super important when it comes to these things. I, you know, it's just making me think about like, I have um, a friend who happens to be a cane, a cane user, they're disabled and they use a cane. And uh, they, one day I, we were, you know, walking somewhere and I think a place was closed early and I was like, oh, that's so lame. And they were like, you know, Seth, like that's an ableist word. And I was like, oh, you're right. And then I just stopped using it. And like, that's how you should react when someone from a community tells you that something's a problem, right? Like you don't need to get defensive. And like, I did feel bad about it. Like I, I felt like, 
like, oh man, I should have known better, you know, and I beat myself and that's just like my own stuff. But like when someone from a community tells me that something's problematic, just like, you know, say thank you for taking the time to educate me and like move on. Don't, don't get defensive. Like it's not personal, you know? And um, yeah, I just, I think a lot of, a lot of us tend to, you know, me included, like sometimes I get very defensive um, when people call me out for doing things wrong. Um, and I think we need to just like take it with a grain of salt and appreciate the education. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, same thing as y'all said, like, I think especially if you're being, maybe if like your practice is being corrected, like in this case of like using problematic language, I think, yeah, you know, you should take that grace, you know, like gracefully. You don't have to agree necessarily, especially like right away. But I think, especially with language, that's a very easy thing, you know, mm-hmm. to like adapt. Um, it might take some time, obviously. Like we don't, we, we, we don't become perfect overnight. And also like Hannah, I feel if someone who is in my circle or someone who I know is like engaging in like behaviors that are like, you know, maybe a little bit suspect. I might mm-hmm. like, hey, hey friend, what's happening? You know, like explain this to me. Like, what is your reasoning? And if you like have a good one, okay, chill. I'm not the authority figure of all things, um, you know, cultural and racial or whatever, even though I feel that's how I brand myself. Please hire me for all your <laughs> <laughs> diversity and inclusion needs. But um, but yeah, I'm also like, I think also the, when you approach someone with like, an open like I feel like with an open mind being like hey like you know white person hello um why are you wearing locks you know um I'm just I'm curious right maybe you're from like I don't know like maybe maybe you're not actually like maybe you're like you you're white coated but maybe you have like you know like really textured hair or maybe like yeah you've a, a black parent or like you're from Jamaica or somewhere else like I don't know like I'm yeah I don't know like I have my own presumptions but I I can be corrected I'm like willing to listen and if they, if there is no reason, if their reason is just you know aesthetic, then maybe might, might be like, hey, you know, just so you know, like, it's cool for you to like wear whatever hair you like or whatever you know outfits you like, but when people from that culture cannot do the same thing without, you know, like risking losing their jobs or you know like, uh, risking like ridicule, etc., then like you know this is when we have to have these conversations about uh, the idea of appropriation. But I think I also used to be the person who would like, you know, confront everybody with everything. But I'm tired now. I'm old. Uh, these knees, these knees uh, yeah. don't look so good no more. And I'm not, uh, you know, I don't. I also I don't have the time in my day to stop every white person with blocks I see on the street. Like there are so many in the city. There's so many. I don't have the time. I don't have it. Um, but then you're still tired. like hire me for every single thing. <laughs> oh, definitely. Every time I see one, I definitely text my friends, being like, "Oh, like, <laughs> like, oh, I can't leave my house one day without, go-, you know." But anyway, I digress. Open, yeah, open questions. I think that's my strategy. And if you're on the receiving end, uh, just you know, be also be open. And no one's telling you to like shave your head immediately or like cut your tongue out for like saying the wrong word. But... <laughs> I will do it for them in fact <laughs> I mean I, listen I will I will walk with you I will hold your hand if you get that head shaved um, uh, you know I can like I'll be there for you with you to tattoo over your dream catcher tattoo like it's cool oh, like yeah. or you can like it can be a reminder be like hey listen everyone like look at this tattoo I got that's appropriate like learn from my mistake I've seen lots of the videos on YouTube and I'm here for it like yeah learn and educa- educate others mm-hmm. Well, I, for one, would love to personally shave every white person with dreadlocks head. 
there's so many in Portland, Maine. I don't know why. I live in Portland, Maine. It's like a cross between like there's the mountains, so there's a lot of people who like to hike and like carry like a carabiner and like a hydro flask. So of course they have dreadlocks and they shop at LL Bean. I know the person you're talking. You know, about. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, um, so I think there's two ways. Um, at least like my personal approach. Um, I've got a little fight left in me to still call people out on the daily. Um, I think uh, there's there's two ways. In the many years that I've grown up here, I've kind of found that aggressive approaches almost always never work. But I think as like people of color, we have every right to be angry and hurt and upset and just be like, ah, why don't they get it? Like, what what is it that they can't get through their thick skulls? It's also not fun to do the labor if you're a person of color. Just the repetitive hey, you can't do that. Hey, you shouldn't do that. This is why. And then it's repeat, repeat, repeat. I think if you're a person of color, I think if you're put in that situation where you're feeling like you have to confront someone about it. Um, I personally have this, so it's kind of like a, it's like an advantage for me. But And I, and I advise all people to do this. Um, reach out to someone who is in close proximity to you and the person who is being culturally appropriative and ask them to do the work. I have a white friend who literally posts on his um, on his Instagram feed, his Facebook feed, and says, if you have questions about why um, Trump is harmful to the LGBT community and the black community um, and the trans community and um, women in the community. Yeah. Every every marginalized community that there is, he says, he's like, come on, like, get into my inbox. Let's talk. Like, let's have a real rational discussion about it. Super helpful because that way it alleviates the pain of the conversation you have to go through. I'm lucky enough to have people in my circle like that who will do that work for me. The second one is more my approach. I think a gentle and loving conversation, if they're within close proximity to you, is the best way. It can go a long way. I've had that experience even with like family members like like I'll even say like my my own mother um has said things that were you know homophobic transphobic um racist before and she's she's white we love you Kim shout out Kimmy love you so much um, she's learned so much within the years that have come out I'm so proud of her but I think coming from a place of understanding with them and saying hey I know you're not being malicious I know you're trying to like I know that there's something you're trying to communicate, but what is it exactly that, that you mean by this? And kind of going through those things and saying, this is why you're wrong. This is where where you're hurting me. And this is why we need to correct this. Um, giving them the opportunity to really learn and grow, I think, is always the best approach. All right. So as we're uh, wrapping things up, I'm curious if you have any resources about this topic for kids or adults. It could be books, shows, websites, whatever you can think of. I actually I thought about that and I was like, you know what, offhand, I don't. So I looked it up and I found, speaking of uh, PBS, we were having a discussion about PBS earlier. I found an entire, um, I don't know how to describe it, info book about cultural appropriation um, from this um, amazing, amazing creator, Francesca Ramsey, that she created in collaboration with with, um, PBS. And it's it's called... um, what I hear, what I hear when you say viewing guide on cultural appropriation uh, from PBS, and it's a really wonderful resource that like gives you thinking exercises and like really really detailed breakdowns of what cultural appropriation actually is, with testimonies from people who have experienced cult- cultural appropriation. So it is more of an adult resource, but it's Francesca Rubzi is a wonderful educator, and she 
is super, super fantastic. Any of her videos also, Francesca Ramsey on YouTube, Cheska Lee, that she still had from when she was doing YouTube are phenomenal resources too. She mm-hmm. also does uh, MTV Decoded, which does like really brief, um, just like minute step-ins on a variety of topics and cultural appropriation is definitely in there. Yeah, I also second everything Francesca Ramsey does, as well as MTV Decoded. The um, blog by scholar Dr. Dr. Adrian Keen, nativeappropriations.com. Also, I believe all of her social media handles are at Native Approps. Yeah, there's a lot of like articles in there and on her Twitter, like really great threads uh, about topics related to Indigenous appropriations and various uh, forms. In terms of like kid specific, I can't really nothing nothing off the top of my head, uh, particular particular about cultural appropriation. But it is the tenth anniversary of the book um, "God Loves Hair" by Vivek Shreya, which is a great like trans narrative written before uh, Vivek Shreya uh, came out as a trans woman. So I yeah I read it, loved it, would recommend. I think there are lots of like really rad uh, like children's books coming out now. Yeah, Arsenal Pop Press has quite a few. They're based in Vancouver, so I would suggest, um, yeah, go to your local libraries, local bookstores, you know, request these books if they're not there, so that way um, the authors can get more money and the bookstores can continue to survive. I am definitely seconding what Prakash said. Books, 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 books. Books are so important, super helpful. Local bookstores, yeah. COVID-19, let's support our local businesses. But also I think um, books for adults and for children, super important. We're really lucky to have amazing resources and great books that celebrate diversity and making sure that we're integrating that into children's lives as early as possible is going to make these conversations a whole lot easier and make these topics uh, a lot less foreign, you know, when these things come up. I think websites are good. I don't know why I said that. Websites are good. Website, the internet. So has anyone ever heard of Parent Map? Well, my sister's obsessed with this. Parent Map. It's it's similar to like, if anyone's ever heard of the blog Everyday Feminism, which is one of my early Tumblr um, findings, and I still follow it to this day. They've got some good resources for adults at Everyday Feminism. But Parent Map is kind of like that, but for children, more so like, radicalized teaching Mm. radicalized that's charged word but I guess I mean different from what we all grew up like Um, and racialequitytools.org it's actually something um, we used a lot when I was studying um, women, gender, and sexualities and sociology um, during my undergrad Um, those are really great resources oh and Bell Hooks I just have to plug her she's a queen she has a wonderful book, and of course, I'm going to forget the name of it. I'm going to have to Google it really quick because it's going to stress me out that I don't know it, and it's specifically on cultural appropriation. Eating the Other. Bell Hooks is an amazing author. She specifically talks a lot about like black and brown experience, and this particular piece is about cultural appropriation. More of an adult book, but definitely um, a good resource. When you were talking about like using using books also like to counter to counteract right? Having like incorrect, you know, assumptions about 
cultures like to teach use children's books to teach kids about cultures you know what i mean different cultures that aren't aren't theirs like we were talking about like with day of the day of the dead which is on my mind because i'm i'm teaching teaching my kids about it in uh next week uh but you know what i mean like you there are tons of great own voices books about day of the dead there are tons of great own voices books about other you know about other cultures um and other celebrations and things like that and i think like for me like celebrations are a really easy way to teach kids about different cultures every uh december like instead of you know just (laughs) christmas i'm let you know we do like christmas we do uh kwanzaa we do hanukkah we learn a little bit about each of them um you know mostly the how they're celebrated and not the i mean they're two and a half they don't want like you know they don't need to hear about you know their religious backgrounds to these (laughs) holidays they they just want to know if they get candy and presents and what's happening but you know what i mean like there are respectful ways to to teach kids about these things and i think books are a really great way to do that so i'm just curious before we leave if any of you have personal projects or work that you'd like to plug and uh, where can people find you on the internet if you'd like to be found well i'm currently i'm just starting not pre-production, but the pre-development of a web series that I'm going to be shooting next oh. year, tentatively called Mazel, and it's going to be shot in Montreal. So oh, all of the details about that you can find. I have two Instagram accounts, and one I, I use for like personal stuff, and it's private. But I'm trying to get like my professional one going, so you can follow me at the Hannah Grover, not the Hannah Grover, but I'm just the Hannah Grover. One word. <laughs> Um, for myself, this can also double as a resource because I do uh, co-produce and co-host a podcast on race and media from a Canadian perspective. That's the that's our that's our branding called "Do the Kids Know." The name is misleading. It's not a kids podcast. It's definitely for adults. They like <laughs> PG thirteen, and you can find that on all of the podcasting places, as well as Do the Kids Know and at Do the Kids Know on social media. And my personal social media is usually at P-R-A-K-R-I-S. If you want to hire me for things, please visit my website, www.prakashkrishnan.com. I'm so jealous of people who have names at their website or like email can just be their name. Yeah. There are so many days. <laughs> there actually, there are also a lot of Prakash Krishnans. I'm very surprised I got the uh, the website for it. I do. I, I'm, I'm kind of a startup right now. I do very private work um, and I work mostly right now with um, companies learning about like racial equity and issues revolving that but also available for hire if you want me to do that labor for you I will do that uh, for a paycheck and you would do it too for a paycheck anybody no that's all right okay I can be found on the internet somewhere my Instagram is just a personal Instagram um and that is my first name, Michaela, and then the last two initials of my last name, ST. So Michaela ST is my IG, and, and Facebook is uh, my first name and my last name, Michaela.statum. Amazing. Well, thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It was such a wonderful conversation. And remember, stay rad.
I'm October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is... I'm Fish with Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend... <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- Fight for adults and kids. <sighs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! Hi there, I'm Nick Hughes, the son. And I am James Hughes, the father. Together, we co-host Canada's Young Leaders, a podcast exploring bold ideas for our country's future. Our third and final season focuses specifically on climate change how we got here, and where we need to go. We'll be speaking with young environmental leaders about the roles of governments, corporations, and individuals in combating this crisis, and also thinking about the role of the COVID-19 pandemic in the climate movement. So, if you're someone who is concerned about climate change and wants to learn more, check out Canada's Young Leaders, a very proud member of the Upford Network.